jump into the word this morning. And right before we do that, though, John, would you mind throwing up that uh, offering slide one more time? I just want to draw your attention to something. Um, just on the left-hand side, it says, thank you, your generosity is making a difference. And I just want to tell a neat story because, as we know, we've been in several lockdowns this year and our ministries have been, you know, reduced in many ways. But what's been an incredible uh, testimony is that our generosity has not diminished at all. Like throughout the whole year, your faithfulness to giving has continued, in some cases even increased. And it's been such a powerful encouragement testimony to me as a pastor, just uh, teaching me how to have faith. But um, we want to just share some exciting news that it says your generosity makes a difference. Uh, through, because of your generosity, we have been through the summer, and I know we've mentioned a few times, but I just want to talk about it again because I'm so excited about it, is that we've been completely renovated our space for our children. That before the pandemic, if you remember, our nursery was over here through this door, and our junior life kids was over there through this door, and then our life kids was upstairs, and and uh, the, the rooms were tired, they were outdated, they were in need of renovation. And so th- this summer, we have completely renovated our upstairs. So our entire upstairs now is going to be a, 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 a like a wing for the children, and it's secure, it's safe, which means nobody is to be upstairs except for authorized people. So we that's going to add to our security, because the safety of our children is very important. But... Um, we have completely renovated the spaces. We've opened up walls. We made things bigger. Uh, we have a parent lounge and for and mothers who are you know with babies and still want to be with their baby, not hand them off to the nursery, but continue to you know nurse them or whatever. Also, we have a place for brand new visitors when they come to meet volunteers. In addition to all of our spaces, so all that to say, thank you so much. Your generosity has made a difference. It's continuing to make a difference. And if you get a chance to sneak upstairs, go. T- take a look. It looks awesome. So before we jump in, because August 15th, we are all systems go for life kids. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to the book of Luke, Luke, the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. And uh, we're like Pastor Pastor Rhonda said, we're in our series on spiritual conflict. And you know, and usually in summertime in churches, churches take the summer and, and do light, you know, lighter topics such as like ask the pastor anything or things like that. But this summer we decided, you know, what, let's go for it. Let's talk about spiritual conflict. Because as we know, our world right now is filled with conflict. And for those with eyes to see, you can see that the conflict is not all just natural conflict, that there is a spiritual element to all this conflict that we are taking place. And it's so important that we, the church, are, have our eyes open and our ears, hearing, and those with that gift of discernment. Remember last summer we talked about the different gifts. If you've got that gift of discernment to be discerning what in all of this is spiritual and what is not spiritual and, and how do we respond accordingly. So this morning, it's going to be a great morning because we're going to talk about something that I'm really excited to talk about, and that is spiritual authority. So in Luke's gospel, and I'm just going to give some context to what we're about to read, uh, we see this really neat story about Jesus taking 70 of his followers. Now, a lot of people think that Jesus only had 12 followers, 12 disciples, when in reality, there were so many more that were following him, yet he just, he chose 12 to walk with him the closest. But there were more than just 12. And in this story in Luke chapter 10, Jesus takes 70 of these, uh, these followers 
and he commissions them. And many people believe that this number 70 that Jesus chose was in reference to Moses when God told Moses to take 70 elders up with him to Mount Sinai and where they saw the glory of the Lord and the Lord appointed those 70 elders with the Holy Spirit. He empowered them to be leaders and ministers for the people of Israel. And Jesus takes these 70 disciples and he sends them out into these towns and villages. And he tells them to proclaim the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel that the kingdom of God has come near to you. That the kingdom of God is at hand. And they go two by two through these towns and villages. And they're preaching the gospel. And the most amazing thing is happening. People are repenting and believing. But with that, they're seeing signs and wonders. In fact, when you read the Gospels, what you see is that rarely will you ever not see a proclamation of the good news without some demonstration of power. And that is what these, these, these followers of Jesus were standing witness to, that they were proclaiming the Gospel, and with that, the power of God was being demonstrated in their midst. And they return to Jesus with joy and wonder at what is happening. And so we pick up in verse 17, reading to 24. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. As long as there have been people on this earth, there, have, there has existed this complicated relationship with people and systems of authority. The question of who gets to decide has long plagued the human race. Who gets to decide? You know, we see that question uh, surface around small things, such as imagine you are gathered together with a group of friends, and somebody has this idea like, let's order a pizza. We're hungry. Well, who gets to decide what toppings are on that pizza? Uh, and I'll tell you one thing, who doesn't get to decide is those who want pineapple on pizza. We'll settle that right now. But who gets to decide? Is it the person who's going to pay for the pizza? Well, what if you've all decided to pitch in a few dollars, then who gets to decide? You know, who, who, who gets to be the one to say which toppings are on the pizza? We see the, who gets to decide, like small things like that, or who gets to decide can be so large, so significant of a question that it has split countries, that it has caused war and division. It has caused and created tremendous suffering and injustices. And it's not that authority is the problem. In fact, when authority is exercised properly with responsibility, accountability, with a spirit of humility, it, actually, authority can be a very beautiful thing, and it can be welcomed and, and very needed. 
But the unfortunate truth is, is that that's not always the case. And in fact, we have all been witness to what authority looks like when it is misused and abused. When the line has been crossed between one having authority and one being authoritative. And sadly, we have to acknowledge that even the church has not been immune from this sort of misuse and abuse. You know, right now I'm listening to this podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I don't know if you remember Mars Hill Church uh, reached its popularity in the 2000s and, and the church collapsed. It fell not because of a sexual allegation or a financial you know, misuse, but an abuse of power, abuse of, a, of spiritual authority. And, it, and I, 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 I comment on that podcast because it's, I find it so interesting, not interesting in a good way, but it more of in a sad, grieving way to hear the story of, of this, the rise and the fall of this church. And what has happened, and I think we're actually really seeing it on display in this moment, is that there's an awakening to the injustices and suffering at the hands of people and systems of authority. You can see that. You know, I, I really believe that a lot of the social unrest is that there, there's something about it that is pinpointing this abuse and misuse of authority and systems and people in power. But instead of turning to God for direction and for help, what we've been doing is that we're putting, we're turning to other models of governance. You know, instead of this system, we tried for, we want that system. And these systems are competing against one another. And the more they compete, it seems like more people are being pushed on the different polarizations of, of, of political thought, of political opinion. And, and we are looking for models of governance. We're looking to put other people in positions of power because there's this belief that if we just have the right system or the right person in power, then all these injustices and suffering will cease to exist. How many of you know that that is sort of what our culture believes? But for us as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, authority is not something that we need to worship or is not something we need to fear because at the heart of our faith is the belief that it is God who gets the final say on all matters. That it is God who has all authority. He gets to decide. And we can trust because when he does decide his decisions, we can trust that his decisions are ultimately good and for our good. And because his authority is the true and ultimate and final authority, we the church, we as Christians, we recognize that anyone else on this earth who stands in a position of authority, whether you are the mayor of Ottawa, whether you are the premier of Ontario, whether you are the prime minister of Canada, whether you are the leader of a country that is democratic or not democratic, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a pastor, and yes, even if you are a public health official, all who are given authority here on this earth are called to stand under the authority of Christ. And everyone in a position of authority here will be held accountable and judged for what they did or did not do with the authority that they were given by God. You see, regardless of who is in power over us, it is God's authority that we must obey first and foremost. Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 18, all authority, all of it. Some, did he say some of it? Did he say part of it? No. He said all authority on, in heaven and on this earth has been given to me. You know, when you look at Jesus' life, you can't help but see that there were many who came face to face with Jesus, and they couldn't help but remark at the authority that he had. 
You know, following the Sermon on the Mount, we see the crowds remark that Jesus is one who does not speak like our scribes and our teachers do, but instead he speaks as one having authority. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, he, Jesus is approached by a centurion, a Roman soldier of, of high ranking, and this soldier pleads with Jesus to come and heal one of his servants. And Jesus asks him the question, do you want me to come to your house and, and heal this servant? And the officer replied, no, that's not necessary, because I know what authority looks like, and you are a man of authority. See, I am a man who has, is under authority, but has those under my authority, and when those are under my authority, I get to say to them, go, and they go. I say, do this, and they do that. You are that man, so you do not need to come to my house. Just say the word, and it will be done. It will happen. Jesus was so moved by this interaction that he declared he had not seen such faith in all of Israel. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus again is approached by another man. This time, this is a man who, is, who has a demon. He is possessed by a demon. And the, the demon, speaking through the man, says to Jesus, Why are you here and what do you want with us? He says, Leave us alone. What does your being here have to do with us? Have you really come here to destroy us? And Jesus says in Mark 1, 25 to 27, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. You see, what we need to understand is that Jesus was not somebody who came to earth to be a good teacher, to teach us how to live a good life, so that these good people, when they die, go to heaven. No, 1 John 3, 8 says the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus, in order to destroy the works of the devil, he walked with authority on this earth. For the Father had appointed and empowered his Son with his Holy Spirit power so that he could perform signs and wonders, cast out demons, and overcome the schemes of Satan. Because that's what authority is. At the heart of what authority is, authority is the right to use someone else's power. You know, in the Bible, the word authority comes from the Greek word exousia, which is a word that has close association with the word power. The word power in Greek is dunamis. And these two words interact with one another, but what's important to, to understand is that authority and power are not the same thing. But what authority is, is not power, but it is the right to use someone else's power. It is, authority is delegated power. And for example, perhaps the best example I can think of is a police officer. You know, somebody who wears a uniform and carries a badge. You know, the city of Ottawa or the province or the country delegates the power of the state onto this individual. And by wearing this uniform and carrying their badge, when they exercise their duties, they, they're symbolizing and carrying the authority of whatever sort of representative has given to them that authority. You know, many years ago, I had the privilege of going on what is called a ride-along with a person at our church. A member of our church was a police officer, and he invited me. He said, do you want to come with me uh, and spend a shift on, on what is called a ride-along and see what it's like? And I said, absolutely. And so I got to ride along with him one evening on one shift and to shadow his work. And, and during the shift, we had to respond to a call at Tim Hortons, okay? How Canadian is that, right? There was a disturbance at Tim Hortons. Actually, in fact... 
that same Tim Hortons, we had to go there not once, but twice in one night. Like, I was like, this is the most Canadian uh, thing ever, right? Two crimes committed at one Tim Hortons in one night. Uh, but as we walked into that Tim Hortons to respond to that call, I experienced something I've never experienced before in my life. Authority. Authority. You know, the same Tim Hortons I had actually been to many times before as a customer and walked in and never once did everyone stop what they were doing and look at me. Never once did I walk up to the front and people move out of the way for me to come up and make an order. But here when I walk in with this, this police officer who is wearing the uniform, you know, he's got a gun on his belt, he's got the badge on his vest, all of a sudden people take notice. And as we walked in, every eye in that restaurant was upon us. And as we moved through the restaurant, people moved out of the way like Moses parting the Red Sea. And every eye, you know, took notice of everything that we did, every step that we take. Why? Because I was with a man who had authority. And Jesus said to us in Luke chapter 10, Behold, I have given you authority. I have given you authority authority. I have delegated the same power and authority that has rested on me. I have delegated it so that it now rests on you. Does that get anybody fired up here today? You know, since all the power and authority rest flows from Christ, he has delegated his power onto his disciples. Mark 16, 17 to 18 says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them, hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And whose name do we do all of that in? In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. And so what spiritual authority is, when we talk about spiritual authority is then, by definition, it is the God-given right the God-given right to receive and use God's power so that it flows, that flows directly from his indwelling spirit. Let me say that again. Spiritual authority is the God-given right to receive and use God's power that flows directly from his indwelling spirit. That through Jesus, we have the capacity to touch both heaven and change outcomes here on earth. That through Jesus, when we walk into a room, though maybe no one on earth takes notice, I believe when one walks with spiritual authority that the powers and the principalities of darkness, they lift up their heads and they take notice. That they move out of the way. But here's the most crucial, crucial thing that we must grasp when it comes to our authority in Christ. Luke 10, 20 says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. I've given you authority to do everything that Jesus just said, but don't rejoice. Don't celebrate. Don't throw a party because of that. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, it is not our personality that determines our authority. If you are someone who is meek and mild and, and you think of authority and you think of loud and big and bold, that's not what determines your spiritual authority. Your authority does not come from your emotions, your words, your gifts, your experiences. Your authority comes from your position. And what matters most when it comes to walking with authority is having a relationship with God. 
that our right to pray and to challenge the enemy in Jesus' name does not come from our own ability or strength, but it comes from what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. That on the cross, what happened is that Jesus robbed Satan of his authority. You know, when in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, when God created Adam and Eve, he actually delegated to them some of his authority. You know, you read, and, and God blessed them and said, you know, fill the earth, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. You will have dominion, you know, over the creatures of this earth, whether those who swim or on the land or in the air. God gave them authority, some of his authority over the creation. But by sinning, they, and so subsequently we, gave that authority that God had freely given to us. We gave that over to Satan by choosing to believe Satan's lies rather than God's truth. And so what happened was that God pronounced judgment. He pronounced judgment not just on Adam and Eve, but he pronounced judgment on the serpent that had deceived Adam and Eve into taking the fruit and eating it. And because of this God pronounced judgment, he said upon the head of the serpent, the head of the serpent would be crushed by the offspring of a woman. And in return, the serpent would bruise the heel of mankind. And there is no doubt that for thousands of years, Satan has bruised the heel of humanity. But it is through the offspring of one woman came a man who was also fully God, who grew up to do the Father's will who was empowered by the Holy Spirit and proclaimed the coming of God's kingdom. And he gave his life for you and I on a cross so that, as Colossians 2, 13 to 15 says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And I love this in verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over the cross, by the cross. You see, the cross, Paul says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is foolishness. It is utter weakness. It is an utter embarrassment to put all of your hopes upon a man who perished on a cross. But to those who are being saved, it is not only God making a way for you and I to come back into right relationship with him, but it is also the putting to shame of the powers and authorities of this world because it robbed them of their power and triumphed over them in victory. So the most amazing thing about spiritual authority that we have in Christ is that which, that which we freely gave away in our sin, Jesus gave back to you and I in our salvation. That which we gave away in our sin, God, through Jesus Christ, gave back to us in our salvation. Authority is rooted in relationship. And so today, if you have this relationship with God, if you are somebody who, through Jesus Christ, has been brought back to the Father and is brought back into right standing with him, the only question that you are left with today is not, do I have authority, but am I walking in authority? It's not, do I have it? Because clearly Jesus says, I have given you authority. But am I exercising the authority given to me by my Father? That is the question that I believe is most relevant for the church, especially for today. And so today I want to leave you with two thoughts that when it comes to how do you and me, how do we walk with spiritual authority on this earth? First, I want to say that spiritual authority is a privilege and not a right. 
It is a privilege and not a right. You see, God gives us his authority not by our merit, but it is by his grace. That the power to do things in Jesus' name, and even John 14, Jesus says that you'll not even do all these things. You'll actually do even greater things in my name. It's a gift that we should never take lightly. And the reason why there is so much pain that is associated when someone in authority, you know, misuses and abuses their authority, and the person that has been the victim of of such abuse or misuse, there's so much pain and brokenness as a result, is because ultimately what this misuse and abuse is, is broken trust. There is a bond of trust that is between the one under authority and the one in authority. And I believe that when God gives us his authority, God is demonstrating his trust in us. That God trusts you enough to give you and empower you with his Holy Spirit. And if God trusts us, it means then that we have this responsibility to steward his authority well. Like Jesus said in Luke 12, to much who is given, much will be required. Or as the great theologian Uncle Ben from Spider-Man said, with great power comes great responsibility. So the body, in moments, we must function as the body was called to do. Those with the gift of discernment are called to stand up and say and discern whether something is from God or not from God. And there are times when you get it wrong, and we need the elders in the church to walk alongside those moments so that we do not excommunicate or push someone away, but we bring somebody back into proper restoration. And so spiritual authority is a a privilege. It's a privilege, not a right. And and second, and I'll close with this, I'll just invite Nathan to come up to the keyboard. Spiritual authority is a process and not an event. It is not something we instantly acquire. It's something we develop through relationship. It's like a muscle. You know, we don't exercise certain gifts that God has given us. We don't exercise our authority, that a muscle of authority will never grow. See, to grow in authority... It requires two things. First, it requires growing in intimacy with Christ. That when we are weak in authority, it is when we are weak in our relationship with God. The painful truth is that our lack of authority is not due to our lack of willingness to walk in authority, but it's often due to our capacity. It's a lack of capacity, not a lack of willingness when we cannot walk with authority. And I'm telling you right now, I have never, ever, ever in my life met a person who walked with the authority of God who also didn't have a very deep abiding relationship with God. You know, in fact, some of the most, the people I know with the greatest authority tend to be some of the quietest, sweetest, most unassuming people that you would think. I just got to single somebody out that I love dearly here, our dear Elizabeth. I, mean, I, I should have told you in advance I was going to do this. The most nicest, sweetest, caring person you'll ever meet. But when she prays, she, when she starts out, you've got to lean in because you just like, I can't hear what she's saying. She's so quiet. But when she's done praying, you know that she is someone who walks with authority. She's praying with such authority that while we call her the sweetest and carest person, the demons, Elizabeth, the last words that they're going to use to describe you are sweet and caring, okay? Because her authority is so evident, and it's evident through her love for Jesus. Rob Reimer says this. I love this quote so much. I need to, like, keep this, write this down. Spiritual authority is rooted in identity. It is expanded in intimacy, and it is activated by faith. 
while you will receive your authority in relationship, how your authority will grow is by exercising and, 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 and walking close to Jesus while we can be saved in a moment. Cultivating intimacy with God, it can take a lifetime, can it? That you can't get close to Jesus in just one service, one moment. Getting close to Jesus is a daily decision. It's a daily discipline. And so today, if you lack authority in your life, and I mean, this is something between you and God. Nobody else in the room can say whether you have or lack or whatever. Ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything that is limiting me today from walking in, my, in the authority that God has given me? Perhaps God can show you, is there a place, is there sin? Is there anywhere that you are walking that you are not walking completely in freedom? Maybe it's sin, maybe it's shame. Ask and see, oh God, search me and know me. Find if there's anything inside of me that is, is not of you. Secondly, just like growing in intimacy, to walk in authority, we need to walk and grow in humility. I'm telling you right now, nothing will quench the Spirit of God, the power of God faster from your life than a spirit of pride. God hates pride. He hates a proud spirit. The word says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what is spiritual authority other than a gift of grace that God gives to the humble in spirit, to the poor in spirit, the meek in spirit, the pure in heart? And what I have observed in my lifetime is that when a Christian be stops walking with authority, when they're not walking from a place of intimacy and humility, is that their fleshly instincts take over and they will quickly de default either to one of two things. They will become either authoritative or they will fall back on some human earthly business model that has had success before. Without intimacy and without humility, you and I are forced to compensate. Compensate for what, you ask? For a lack of any real spiritual power in our life. And why humility is necessary is because the greater your authority is in Christ, the greater your call will be to serve others. And if Jesus, who had all authority in heaven and on earth, still believed it necessary to serve and not be served, how much more do you and I need to be clothed with that same humility? So today I leave you with that question. Am I walking in his authority? Am I walking? And if the answer is no, just between you and God, why not? Why not? And I ask that not to bring you any sort of shame, but just simply show you today what it's possible in the name of Jesus. To show you what it's possible God has for you and for me. He, Jesus said, I've given you authority. I've given it to you. That which you freely gave away in your sin, I've given back to you in your salvation. As the Father has given me, so I give to you the power to tread over serpents and scorpions, to to push back the powers of darkness, to whatever you bind on earth, it will also be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, it will also be loose in heaven. To say to that mountain, move and it will come to pass. To pray in the name of Jesus and whatever you ask according to his will, it will be done. We can do these things that Christ did. And Jesus said, even greater things, all because of who Christ has sent to us, his spirit. And so let us stop and ask God in prayer. Would you stand to your feet? God, would you make us aware today of the power that we have in you? 
Would you pray that today? Would you make that your prayer? God, make us aware of the power we have in you. But in that same breath, God, would you make us aware of where we need to grow and better steward the power that is already in us? God, make us aware of what we have and where we need to grow. And finally today, to pray, because I believe it's so important because Jesus called us to it, to rejoice not because we have authority, but to rejoice because our salvation is secure in him. That our names are written in God's book. And what is most important is not that the enemy knows your name, but it's God who knows your name. It is God who knows your name. So let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son into this world to triumph over the enemy to destroy the works of the devil. God, the, the gospel is not just only what you did for us, but it's also what you did to the powers of the enemy, that you destroyed them, that you humiliated them, and that you disarmed them. You made a public spectacle over the enemy, and you triumphed through the cross. And Lord, through the cross, you have brought us into relationship with you. It is only through the cross, only by the cross, that we are saved. That Jesus, you laid down your life for us. And it is the belief that you gave your life so that we could be brought back into right, right relationship, but also so that the power of the enemy was ultimately and utterly destroyed. And so, Jesus, today, we want to root ourselves in relationship, oh God. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we have been caught up with the authority and power structures of this earth. God, forgive us and convict us, I pray, if we believe that any other governance model other than the governing by your kingdom, the kingdom living, God, that you have called us to live in, that we have put our faith and trust in any other governance or model or system of authority on this earth. All systems of authority on this earth that are not of you, God, they ultimately lead to a dead end. They will ultimately, at some time or another, at some point in history, will only surface the injustices and the suffering that has resulted in every single system of authority that is apart from you. But your authority, oh God, is true. Your authority is good. And God, today we ultimately rest and acknowledge that you are the one who gets the final say over everything. And God, for the times where we have obeyed man and not God, forgive us. Forgive us, oh God. But God, Lord, we want to obey you and we know, Lord, that you have given us that same authority that rested on Jesus. You've not given us authority over our brothers and sisters. You have given us authority over the power of the enemy to push back the darkness, to cast out that which is not of you, to see signs and wonders. Lord, my prayer, God, is that in this moment, God, that we would proclaim the gospel and that the gospel would be proclaimed and it would be accompanied with demonstrations of your divine power. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have wanted to see your power just for the public spectacle, just so that we could, in our spirit, say, man, look at us. 
But we need the divine power, the, the, the demonstration of your power to accompany the proclamation of your word, O oh Lord. And so would you perform signs and wonders? Would you show your authority on this earth as you showed your authority, the power of God through Jesus Christ? Would you show your power through us, I pray? And Lord, I pray today that we will be deeply humbled, Lord, by the call on our life to grow in intimacy with you. That we would not walk in authority out of our own strength, out of our own merit, out of our own personality. But we would walk according to the Spirit because we are walking close with you, O oh God. Jesus, help us. Make us aware of the power that we have that you have delegated to us. And make us aware of where we are called to grow in Jesus' name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.